All right, so good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you again, whether you're here in person, which, by the way, you all look so beautiful and smell good, too. And I want to worship those of you that are worshiping with us. Uh, welcome those of you that are worshiping with us online. Uh, everyone's supposed to feel welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. Now, I don't know if you heard of this, but we have been in a transition for the last few months. Uh, and last week, we just celebrated uh, Rob's retirement, not because he was retiring, but because of 27 years of faithful ministry. And I, I don't know if this is your experience, but transitions are always, it always makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know? Transitions are always good, or not always good, but sometimes good, um, but, but they always feel a little bit uh, complicated, right? And, and that's natural that we go uh, through that as a church, because in every tra- transition, you are uh, living in between the times, if you will. You're, you're, you're living in between what is old and what is new. We are living in the times in which what is known and the unknown. We are living in the times in which, in which um, we, we are celebrating what we had in the past, but we also have hope for the future. Um, but I don't know if that's your case, but in my case, transitions always make me feel uncomfortable for some reason. And I'm thinking that I'm not the only way that feels this way. Because every new chapter in your life requires transitions. So as a pastor, as preaching pastors in the church, we we were thinking about this and says, okay, what is it that we need to give the church? What is it that we as pastors need to hear to remember that in the midst of all these transitions, God is still in control? And that even though sometimes it feels complicated, and there's a certain level of uneasiness for many of us. We must learn how to trust and rely that in the midst of all these transitions, God is still present. So we thought of two stories that we're going to be looking at this week and next week about two different characters in the Bible that also experienced transitions. And we're going to see that what they learned back then and what the Lord said back then is the same things that we need today. That's one of the blessings of knowing that the Bible is always relevant. That's one of the blessings of knowing that the Bible is always flawless and right and true and eternal. Because whatever the Lord said back in those days is the same thing that the Lord says today. And if it was helpful back then, it will be helpful today. So today we're going to be meditating in a famous passage of the Scripture. Uh in which we learn from Abraham and his transition. Actually, he's called into ministry, if you will. So we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, can you please go there? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you're here, can you say, I'm here. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told them, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from uh, Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his possessions they had, they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel and the west and Ai in the east, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued to, uh, toward Negev. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray again. Lord, please open up our eyes, our minds, and understanding. We pray for the presence of the Spirit the ministry of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit as we open up a scripture. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. You may take a seat. There is something unique about Abraham. There is something unique about these men of faith. And that's why when you read the Bible, he is described almost as a spiritual giant in the story of redemption. See, Abraham was not like Moses, which is the lawgiver. He was not like Joshua, a great military leader. He was not like David, a great king. He was not as courageous as Daniel. He was not a prophet like Elijah. And yet, every single one of those names mentioned before would look at Abraham, and they, every single one of them, without a doubt, would tell us that Abraham was the perfect example of what it means to be a person of faith. Actually, we can call him the father of our faith. If there's one thing that I know that the church needs today, if there's one thing that I know that I need today and you need today, is that in the midst of transitions, the one thing we need is faith. And there's no one better than Abraham to show us what faith looks like. So today we're going to talk about three things about faith. It's going to tell us, the text is going to tell us that faith requires a cost, that faith requires a vision, and that faith requires an anchor. Cost, vision, anchor. Let's go with the first point, faith requires a cost. There's super inter something super interesting in this passage and also challenging at the same time because the description of faith that we're going to see right here is completely different, actually contrary to, a lot, to what a lot of people think of faith nowadays. I don't know if this is your case, but I have heard a lot of people, when, when they talk about faith, they describe it as trusting and believing in God and that if you do that, everything's supposed to go 
perfectly fine. That if you trust God, things will go well. It almost feels like if you have faith in faith, you have control over your future. You have control over the things you do. It's almost like if faith is a charm or an amulet that you possess, that if you hold it right, it'll make things better and faster for you. I don't think that's a good definition of what faith is. Actually, if you have faith, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God already told you in Jesus Christ that if you really, really trust them and love them, you will be persecuted and you will be rejected and you will experience suffering for the name and in the name of Jesus. Welcome to church. <laughs> and I think that's important for us to understand because if we actually pay attention and how the Bible describes faith, it tells you that faith always requires certain level of sacrifice, and for sure, faith requires commitment, even if it hurts. Faith requires a sacrifice, and faith requires commitment, and both sacrifice and commitment is what we will call today, faith requires a cost. The faith of the believer is both sacrificial and committing. If your faith is not costly, if your faith does not demand the ruthless abandonment of some things, and if it doesn't demand commitment, it cannot be a biblical faith. Now, where do I get that from? Well, thanks for asking. That will be verse 1. Look what it says. The Lord has said to Abraham, go. Can you say Go from your country, your people, your father's household, and to the land that I will show you. Every phrase, every word that is highlighted there is extremely important, starting with the word go. This is what is fascinating about that word, is that we can understand from the context of the text that the Lord is calling him, calling Abraham to leave, which is one of the translations. But the word go in the original also means to die, and to lead. So when God is calling Abraham to leave his country, to leave his family, to go to a different place, he's calling him to leave everything behind and to die to himself. Now, it's super interesting that the author of this book, Moses, he uses the same expression that we find in Genesis chapter 1. God said... And that's important for us to keep in mind because when God is speaking to Abraham, he's not giving him an invitation. He's not suggesting. He's using the same authority and power he exercised in Genesis chapter 1 to create the world. God speaks and it happens. And here, God uses the same expression. He speaks and Abraham's supposed to obey and follow automatically. God is calling Abraham to nothing less than to leave certain things behind, to be willing to die to certain things, to be willing to sacrifice, and to step out in faith. Once again, biblical faith always requires certain level of sacrifice. Now, the question we're going to ask the text is, what is it that Abraham was willing or had to sacrifice? And I could put it like this. God asked him to sacrifice anything that he held dear 
and everything and anything that made them feel comfortable and secure. This is why the words country, people, and household are so important. When God called Abraham to leave his country, he's asking him to leave prosperity and comfort behind. How do I know that? Because where Abraham was living, all the cities that are mentioned there were the great centers of trade at that time. God called them not only to live behind prosperity and comfort, but to live acceptance by people. That's why he's calling to leave people, his people behind. And not only to leave prosperity and comfort and acceptance behind, but also to leave what is familiar and secure, your household. I, I don't know if you can see it, but that's a crazy call. This is not God asking Abraham to give up something. It's not to give up golf or going to McDonald's. It's not giving up to, you know, stop drinking Coke. He was calling him to leave everything that was important, that he held dear, that made him feel secure and comfortable. I think that the Lord, in times of transitions, calls all of us, including the pastor, to be willing to sacrifice. Now, this is the crazy thing, that he didn't even know where he was going. Did you notice that the text says, into the land that I will show you? Not that he already knew that he was going, but that the Lord will show him as soon as he would step out in faith. Therefore, the cost is not just sacrifice, but the cost is also commitment. It's to stick around in whatever the Lord called you to be and whatever they called call you to uh, uh, live. God does not call Abraham, that God does not give him the plan, you know? Well, this is what you're going to do first. This is where you're going to land first. No, he says, step out. I will show you. We will not be able to get to see anything in the future unless we step out in faith. Therefore, commitment, church, is required. Warren Wiersbe said something a few years ago that I think that is so relevant today. And it has to do with the concept of commitment. This is what he says. I sometimes get the impression that commitment is a vanishing commodity in today's world. Many people don't want to be committed to their jobs, their marriage vows, or to one another. I'm going to do my thing my way is the essence of today's philosophy, and this attitude has invaded the church. So allow me to remind you that in the midst of transitions, our faith must be costly. Our faith requires sacrifice, and our faith requires commitment. This month, we have been remembering what happened in 9-11 in New York and, and Washington. And last week, I was listening to this group of pastors that they were describing their experience during that time and that season. Um, and it's amazing to see how the Lord was using the church during those seasons. One thing, though, that was unique about those churches, though, is that the pastors called the congregations to not run away from New York. There were a ton of pastors that called the congregations to stick around. 
to contribute to what the Lord was going to do to rebuild the city of New York. And while everybody else was leaving the cities, there was a ton of believers that decided to stay. Actually, there's more than that. Because during that season, there were more young church planters going to New York than going to other parts in the world. Do you know why? Because whenever there's transitions, the church always sticks around, always commits, always sacrifices, because that's what it means to be people of faith. When the Lord was asking me to this thing today, I had to ask the question, am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to live what, is, what it feels comfortable and secure? Am I willing to abandon certain things for the sake of the kingdom? Am I willing to suffer? Am I willing to step out in faith? Church, I know where I stand. The question is, do you know where you stand? Stick around. Let's see what the Lord does. Amen? Amen. Point number two. Faith requires a vision. There are seven things God says to Abraham in verses 2 and 3 that paints a picture of the vision that God had with Abraham. Not for Abraham, but with Abraham. So, for example, in verse 2, it says, I will make you into a great nation, number one. And then it says, I will bless you, number two. And then it says, I will make your name great, number three. And I will be, and you will be a blessing, number four. And then in verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, number five. And whoever curses you, I will curse, number six. Oops, sorry. Um, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, number seven. This is God telling Abraham what he was going to do in him and through him. So let me paraphrase it. God is promising that his family was going to be huge. God was promising that he could always count with God's favor. God was promising that he would always, that Abraham would be internationally, globally recognized. He was promising that he would be a blessing to other people. He was promising that he will be fully protected. And he was promising that the whole earth will be blessed through him. That's, that was going to be Abraham's testimony. I don't know about your testimony, but compared to that testimony, our testimony looks so poor. Can you imagine you asking Abraham, hey, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And the guy is like, oh, God told me that I'm going to bless the entire earth. It doesn't matter how humble you are. You say that, you don't look humble. <laughs> and yet, that was the vision. Now, I want you to see something that I had never seen before, even though I preached this passage like at least 10 times. Here's the question. Why is it that God talked to him about the cost of faith first, before he talked about the vision of faith. Think about that for a second. Why would God talk about cost before talking about vision? And this is what I think God was doing with Abraham. God wanted 
Abraham's heart first than anything else. God wanted Abraham to be committed to him more than anything else. God wanted Abraham to love him more than loving the vision. God knows that the tendency of the human heart is to love much more what God gives than God himself. God knows that the tendency of the human heart is for us to love what God could do with us than to love the God that is doing all those things. A great vision has the power to replace a great God. Isn't that what history has shown us? Isn't that the reason why there are so many people and pastors and leaders that have compromised biblical convictions because they're in love with a platform? Isn't that the reason why people have done immoral things for the sake of vision? See, God knows that Abraham can struggle with this. Actually, let me add a little more to that. God knows, God wants Abraham to, to know that this vision was not about Abraham. That it was not about his giftings and his charisma and what he could do and the things that he can accomplish. God wanted Abraham to know that this vision was God's vision, God's plans, God's purposes, and God's glory. See, God was the one that called Abraham. He was God the one that initiated the conversation. It is God the one that says that he's going to accomplish his purposes through Abraham. This is the reason why in five different times, God says, I will. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I will. You know what it means to be a people of faith? That we are obsessed with God, not just with the things that God does. That we are intoxicated by the beauty and the power and the magnitude of God, not the things that he does for us. That both humbles you and it gives you a crazy, crazy confidence. Listen, church, we don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry about the future. Amen. You know why? Because the I will God has, he has control over all of this. His purposes, his plans, his call, his power, his grace, his grace, his mercy. God is in control from beginning to end. This was not about Abraham. This is not about us. It's not for our glory. It's all about his glory. This is why Abraham in verse 4, the first thing that he says is that when he had this vision, he went. He went. Abraham was not trusting a charismatic, good-looking Latino leader. <laughs> Everything I said was true except the Latino part. <laughs> he was not trusting a group of spiritual, uh, full-of-the-spirit leaders. He was not trusting the size of a church and the size of a budget. The reason why he stepped out in faith it's because of God. I will. You know, Martin Luther in his commentary of this passage says something very interesting. 
He actually calls this passage the most outstanding and most important passages in all the scripture. Because what God was promising was altogether impossible, unbelievable, and untrue if followed by reason. You know why? Here. It was easier for God, for Abraham, to accomplish this vision if he would have stayed in his land with his family and his friends. Why would he go to a place that nobody knows him, no recognition, no money, no nothing? Actually, Martin Luther King says, Martin Luther says that that's not only just what happened there, but if you remember and if you read it with me, Abraham was 75, which in our time is like someone in their 40s. I'm just saying. (laughs) And his wife, which is 10 years younger than him, is barren. So this is what Martin Luther says. These huge masses of unbelief and these high mountains, which could suppress his faith completely, the holy patriarch overcomes and crosses by faith. He simply clings to this one thought. Behold, God is promising this. He will not deceive you even though you do not see the way, the manner, and even the time of the fulfillment of this promise. Did you know that the reason why you are here today is because that promise was partially fulfilled? Did you know that the reason why we have a Bible today is because that promise was partially fulfilled? Did you know that the reason why there's a bunch of different ethnic groups and social classes and people of different backgrounds worshiping together is because that promise was partially fulfilled? Did you know that you are a believer today, if you are a believer today, because that promise was partially fulfilled? Did you know that if you are exploring Christianity today, the reason why you are exploring Christianity today is because that promise was partially fulfilled? Because God made a commitment. He bound himself to this promise. I will. God's vision, God's plan, God's purposes, God's commitment, God's glory. God is more interested in us and in this church and in this world than anybody else in this room. In times of transitions, we need a big vision. But not a vision that has to do with the church getting bigger or accomplishing great things or doing great things. That vision is too small. In times of transitions, we need God-sized vision in which we desire that God takes the glory, that people may know him more, that others know that everything we do and the reason why we do it is because of him. That big vision requires that everything we do as Christians, inside the church, outside the church, at work, in your community, with your neighbors, people may see and know that everything we live is from him and through him and for him. That's a big vision. See, faith requires a cost. And faith requires a vision. And that's what Abraham just went. And as he goes, 
we go. Amen? Faith requires a cost. Faith requires a vision. And number three, faith requires an anchor. There's something interesting that happens in this story right at the beginning. Uh, at the beginning of uh, Abraham's journey. Something that I would say uh, it was unexpected. So at the beginning of the journey, you see Abraham willing to sacrifice and commit. And he steps out in faith. And he understands and sees God's vision. But after he steps out in faith, you see him struggling a little bit. Actually, in verse, well, I'll show, you to you, I'll show it to you in a second, but you start to see that this example of faith, these men of faith, could not, God could never rely on him alone to actually accomplish his purposes. So, so let me show it to you. It's, I, I think that that's there in the text for us to see something else and to understand something else. So, for example, in verse 5, it says that he took his wife and his nephew, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So if you remember at the beginning, God says that he was going to show him the land. He steps out in faith, and now he actually makes it to that land, right? And when he gets there, in verse 7, it says that the Lord appeared to him. And Abraham then, uh, and the Lord said to him, to you offspring, I will give this land. And in response, Abraham builds this altar as a sign of gratefulness and thankfulness to the Lord. And you would say that everything in the story is going right until you get to this verse. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And this is something that we usually miss in Abraham's story. He stepped out in faith, but when things got complicated, he backed down. And you see it? He knew what the cost was, he understood and got the vision. But when things got complicated, he backed down. He forgot the I wills of God. Why would the Bible show us that? To paint the picture, to actually invite us to see that the real hero of the story was never Abraham. And that the real savior of the story was never Abraham. And that's why verse 7 uses the word to your offspring. Singular, not offsprings, but one person. And if you read Galatians chapter 3, you will know that that word is talking about Jesus, the true and better Abraham. See, part of the reason why we have this story, part of the reason why we need to understand the vision, was because God was saying to Abraham, which it will be like a miniature of Jesus in the Old Testament, saying what Abraham could never accomplish the son of Abraham would actually accomplish. Jesus, the true and better Abraham. So part of the reason why we can move into the future, trusting what the Lord is going to do, is not just because he raised Abraham, but because even when Abraham failed, he raised another Abraham, Jesus Christ, our true and real blesser. See, Jesus, the true and better Abraham, was also called by God, uh, the father, to leave his house. And he did. 
See, this Jesus, which is the true and better Abraham, was also called to live what was familiar, to what's secure, to what's comfortable, to count the cost, to come into a land that did not know him and accept him, and he did. See, this Jesus, the true and better Abraham, would come to do everything for the glory of God. See, this Jesus, the true and better Abraham, not only sacrificed what was familiar and secure, but he came to sacrifice himself. Dying on a cross, taking the curse that we all deserve and giving us the blessings that we don't deserve. See, the reason why we can move into the future, trusting that the Lord is going to accomplish his purposes with us, is because in Jesus we have all the spiritual blessings. Do you know what that is? Let me tell you why is it that you should not worry about the future. Let me tell you why is it that I'm not worried about the future. Because my true and better Abraham my true, is my true and better blesser. And because in him I have been forgiven. And in him I have been accepted. And in him I am loved and adopted and justified and redeemed and sanctified. And in him I have a new identity. And in him I have been crafted into the family of God. And it is because I have that that I know that the future is secure. See, all the I wills of God in Genesis chapter 12 were fulfilled and guaranteed in Jesus Christ. That's our anchor. In times of transitions, our anchor, once again, is not a leader, is not a group of leaders, is not a church, is not a budget, is not a strategy, is not ideas. Our confidence into the future is that we have the best anchor ever. Jesus Christ, the one that did everything that we have not done, died the death that we all deserve, and raised to promise and guarantee what is yet to come. Now, someone may ask this. Is that enough for us to move into the future? And I would say yes. That's enough. I don't know what the future has. I have ideas, the leaders have ideas, but I don't know what the future has. But this I know. That if that's our anchor, we will step out in faith. So let me read this to you to finish here. This is a letter from an African pastor the night before, um, a letter that he wrote to his friends the night before he died. And I want you to see how what we talked about today is actually what he believed and how he was willing to step into the future even though he was about to get killed, how he stepped into the future. Look at what he says. I am a part of a community of those who are not ashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. My destiny has been determined. I've crossed the line. The decision has been made. I am one of the, his disciples. I won't look back, pause, stop, return, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I've already finished the race, and I don't want to know anything about his small dreams, shy visions, passionless living, mundane talks, small giving, or insignificant goals. I do not need prominence, prosperity, position, promotion, approval, or popularity. 
I do not need to be right to be the first, to be maximum, to be the maximum, or to be recognized, honored, esteemed, or rewarded. Now I live in his presence and I trust with faith. My face is fixed in one direction. My pace is fast. My goal is heaven. My way is narrow. My road is rough. My companions are few. My guide, my guide is reliable. And my mission is clear. I cannot be bought. Dishonored, seduced, distracted, turned around, deviated, or delayed. I will not blink before the sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the face of adversity or negotiate at the table with my enemies, nor consider popularity or live in the middle of mediocrity. I will not surrender, nor be silent, or pause, or tire out until I have preached, prayed, paid and accumulated for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must continue until he comes, give till I drop, preach until I know, and work until he stops. When he comes to take his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clearly seen. And then he speaks to the churches and says, do it, brothers and sisters, for one reason and one reason alone. The glory of God. I know where I stand. I know where the elders stand. I know where the staff stands. Do you know where you stand? Let's move into the future trusting. Not what we do, but the God of promises. The God of I wills. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to get distracted by things that are insignificant. It is so easy, Lord, to get distracted by things that make us feel secure and comfortable. It is so easy, Lord, to trust charisma or giftings or anything like that. The reality, Lord, that is as believers, our only trust has to be you. The God of I wills, the God of purposes and plans, the God that promised that one day you will redeem all this creation. And I pray, Lord, that during this time of transition, we may get to see remember and embrace that reality that we shouldn't worry about the future because the future is yours that if we are already part of that promise that you made to abraham we know lord that that promise will be fully consummated when jesus comes back and we know lord that that is true because jesus lived died and resurrected and i pray lord that you make us people of faith, sacrificial faith, committed faith, vision faith, trusting faith. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says,